Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Slow Pitch, a podcast that takes sports movies too seriously, or perhaps not seriously enough. We're your hosts, Sean Williams, and Brad Etherly, two guys who consider watching sports movies a type of aerobic exercise. Today's episode is a review of the 1992 classic, The Babe. I got to say right off the uh, top, I thought the pig was amazing. Um, <laughs> James Cromwell, but amazing <laughs> as the babe's owner. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, when I said the pig, I was talking about Babe Ruth. Oh, okay. no, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> James Cromwell and Babe also, but not the babe. Yeah. I mean, also the babe. Let's talk about James Cromwell real quick. When I saw his name come up at the opening credits, I thought, of course, because it seems like James Cromwell is like, it's a constitutional amendment that he has to be in a period piece from the 20s or 30s. Right. Like. Well, yeah. He's good. But also, when when they first introduced him into the movie, which was like minute number two, yeah. They start at his feet and and slowly pan up. And I guess he's he's a pretty tall guy. He's probably yeah. like 6'2 for Hollywood standards. And I just knew that was going to be James Cromwell. <laughs> well, of course. Well, and yeah. has he played a Catholic priest or bishop or whatever he was in another movie? Probably every other movie. <laughs> well, and uh, I had I had this question too. Is there any other entity, I mean, other than the Nazis, maybe, who get worse exposure from movies than the Catholic Church? Like, every time you see the Catholic Church, it's like there's either something demonic going on, there's like abuse going on, at the very least, there's judgment going on. Like, the Catholic Church gets one of the worst raps in theater history that I've ever seen. Yeah, I can't, now that you mention it i can't really think of a of a movie that shines a a good light on catholicism <laughs> i know and they I became mean, catholic and more. it was all better after that the end yes. roll credits <laughs> and they lived great lives <laughs> yeah. forever after so this movie let's just start at the beginning because I, I don't even know really where to start with this. <laughs> well, the movie, I I, the movie itself starts at the very beginning, and it is just like here's 1902, here's 1907, here's ni- whatever. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, you know, the very first thing it does is tell you that these events happened between 1902 and 1935. Yes, and as soon as that came up, I wanted to call bull crap on it because I knew that there was gonna. I saw this movie probably. 35 years ago. And so I didn't remember anything about it, but I knew that it was going to have, it came out in 1992. (laughs) over my shoulders for two days. Yeah. So I did see this movie probably 25 years ago and you know, you're dealing with 
the babe. You're dealing with one of the most iconic sports figures of all time. Well, iconic, but also kind of ballyhooed, you know, like there's a lot of myth to this guy. And so if you're going to make a movie about him, I understand that some of those myths might be played as happening for real, but there's a lot in this movie that is just beyond you know, <laughs> any kind of real possibility of logic. And the problem that I have with it is that they don't expressly like they try to, it's supposed to be a biopic, you know, mm-hmm. do you say biopic or biopic? I say biopic. Yeah. I do too. It just makes more sense. <laughs> a biopic sounds like a medical procedure. Sounds <laughs> like what I need to have done to my eyes. Yeah. But no, so this is supposed to be a biopic, but so they just kind of present these things as having really happened, but they made this movie before the internet was really a big deal. But now it's pretty easy to to go back and say, did Babe Ruth really hit a home run that landed in between home plate and third base? <laughs> well, and did he really like, was there really an incident where for, and maybe I was just not paying attention where, the entire crowd at Yankee Stadium had lemons or in their hands and they were throwing lemons at the, I think it was the Cubs. Oh, the Cubs. Okay, Cubs. either either way. They're like, okay, here's yes. your here's your program, here's your lemon. Make sure you throw it at Babe Ruth if you get really angry <laughs> at him. Um, I did read about that. I, I had a note. Uh, let me see here. Cubs fans throwing lemons at Ruth. Because I wanted to research that. And sure <laughs> enough, I think two lemons were thrown Yeah. Okay. <laughs> during a World Series well, game. Well, so, in this movie, you know, folks, it's 10,000. <laughs> it's the entire city yeah. of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had a lot of those notes to be go. I just wanted to, you know, go back and be like, okay, did that really happen? Did yeah, really there's happen? a few, there's a and few things, yeah. So, you know, the first thing that you see is Babe Ruth getting dropped off at this Catholic school for boys for for wayward sons yeah and <laughs> in, in like 1902 and basically his dad is just dropping them off there never to see him again and i just as a father i was like has so much changed in 100 years that this was just like common practice back then that someone would just just drop off their seven-year-old kid without <laughs> Well, Any kind of remorse or and his, thought about it. His like, parting, his parting words to his son George Ruth was, uh, George Herman Ruth was that his name? Uh, he said, yeah. "Remember, you brought this on yourself." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. all right, see you, bye. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Love you. <laughs> they were establishing very early on this man is wounded, and yeah, this may be why yeah. he acts out later in life. Yeah, Babe is, has got some emotional issues going on. Yeah, so he drops him off, and I think James Cromwell was Father Matthias, I think. And he <laughs> he's he's giving these, like, seven- and eight-year-old boys, like, you know, split-finger fastballs <laughs> and curveballs and, like, licking his, licking his fingers, you know, to get a better grip on the ball. And yeah. I was like... What what's going on here? This is like well, you got to lob these these balls in for these kids. Remember, uh, remember when we were? I think we were reviewing Fast Break. I think it was Fast Break where the team goes from being horrible at basketball to like all of a sudden being amazing. All right, execution. I can't. Oh, fast Break. I mean, you had 
you had a bunch of whiteies from Iowa or whatever. Okay, maybe that's not maybe that's not it. Swish and maybe Mark that, King come in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. That was wrong movie. But point is, is that Babe Ruth picks up a bat and he's like, "What is this? What am I supposed to do with this?" He swings and misses yeah. like two pitches, and then on pitch number three, he's greatest home run hitter of all time at age eight or whatever he is. Like he yeah. just starts taking the, the next 15 pitches are, are over. I know he starts taking this ways. priest. He starts taking priest Cromwell yard every single pitch, <laughs> no matter what kind of heat he throws in there. Yes. No matter if he swings so hard, he lands on the ground. I, I mean, he's this just, kid, this kid is literally closing his eyes and like diving out of the batter's box and still <laughs> taking uh father uh, Cromwell yard <laughs> <laughs> that happens in the next kind of the next scene we see is that uh, you know he's 19 he weighs 450 pounds <laughs> and is playing for the high school team I guess yeah and and is crushing crushing it and the Baltimore Orioles which you know he's based out of Baltimore which I've been to the spot where his his school was I don't I'm 99.9% sure that it's not there anymore, yep. but I've been to that spot, but Baltimore wants him. Well, can they we sign him? Yeah. Well, can oh, we, yeah, go ahead. Well, about, about signing him, like Babe Ruth is 19 years old and, uh, Jack Dunn, who I guess was the, maybe the owner of the Orioles at the time. He, he adopts him. Did I hear that right? Like he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Like he why basically did he took, why did he have to, like, did he officially adopt him? And why, if he was 19 years old, why did he have to adopt him at that point? Couldn't he just say, hey, you're hired? Yeah, I don't know if a kid dropped off at <laughs> Father Cromwell's school was <laughs> destined to be there for life if they were considered incorrigible. <laughs> I guess. So. You know? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I, I, I wondered that too. And I didn't look that up. I should do it right now. But, but yeah, they basically say we'll take not ownership necessarily, but like we'll be his caretakers if he gets unruly. Right. Right. So they, I think they only keep him for like two weeks and they ship him off to Boston. Yeah. Do we know the, really do we know the story behind get, that? No, uh, I looked it up and it looks like he spent like a couple of games in the minors, didn't even play for the Orioles. And then yeah. he got shipped to Boston. So, mm. huh. so that happened and. The movie again emphasizes that he's a really good home run hitter because his first at bat he hits a dinger, you know. Which I'm glad you brought the two strikes thing up with Father Cromwell because that was a running theme throughout the movie <laughs> is that he would get two strikes and then the third one would land in the Hudson River or something yeah. like that. Well, and but and I may be stepping on something that you are about to bring up. As, as far as like historical inaccuracies go. Okay. So they established that he's a home run hitter, like big time. He goes to Boston. His first at bat seemingly is a home run, but I'm sitting here looking at Babe Ruth's stats. And mm-hmm. in 1914 for the Boston Red Sox, he had exactly zero home runs. He had two hits yeah. that year and he didn't hit more than 11 home runs until his very last year with the Boston Red Sox. Yet they were, I felt like the movie was making it seem like he was just going yard every single time. 
Well, in, you know, one thing that the the movie alludes to, but doesn't come out and spell it out, is that home runs are not hit at a prolific rate at this time in, in baseball history. The leading home run hitter might have four home runs a season. And so, you know, when he hits 11 home runs in a season, he's obliterating the home <laughs> run record, you know? <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so this was definitely... He ushered in what's considered kind of the f- the first live ball era of of the league because nobody nobody hit home runs. I mean, they just they would there were more. I think there were more home runs inside the park home runs hit in a, any given year than there were home runs going over the fence. <laughs> so inside the park home runs were more common than than they are now for sure. But they also played in in stadiums that had you know center field might be 465 feet away from home plate wow you know so i mean hitting an inside the park home run you know if you hit it to straightaway center and it rolls all the way to the to the back of the fence then you you're gonna be <laughs> halfway between second and third before yeah. the fielder picks it up yeah. so maybe unless you're if you have Ruth, any kind but... of wheels <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. So Babe Ruth was not 400 pounds when he was 19. If you, you know, he's always had that chubby face. Right. But if you look at a picture of him from when he was in his younger playing days, he looks like a normal everyday yeah, baseball player. He's no heavier than, he's no heavier than like Terry Forster or whoever that guy from play for the Braves or Bob Horner, Bob Horner. Bob Horner. Yeah. Yeah. So we have um, John Goodman, who at the time was like a massive star because of Roseanne. And I guess maybe arachnophobia had come out at that point. And, yeah. And uh, King raising Ralph. Yeah. King Ralph <laughs> and raising Arizona, of course. But uh, yeah, like he did not, he had, he was like way too fat to play Babe Ruth in, in all actuality. Like I would even say that John Goodman is. 100 pounds heavier than Babe Ruth at his heaviest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he even had to lose weight to, to even have this. He had a quote that said, and I don't see how this how is demoralizing. Like, this, but, so demoralizing. Uh, he said, I, I see the irony of me having to lose weight to play Babe Ruth. Right. But, you know, if you look at, at John Goodman in the late 80s on Roseanne, he was huge. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you look at him, like if you go to YouTube and like YouTube, John Goodman commercials, like he does a lot of commercials in the early eighties where he's like completely like spelt and thin. Oh, really? And so something, something happened, but yeah, that is a sobering moment when it's like, guess what? Uh, you're going to play Babe Ruth. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, What's the catch? Well, we need you to lose 150 pounds. <laughs> like you've got to still going to be a hundred pounds yeah. over, <laughs> and you've got to look in the mirror at that point in your life. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought he honestly. There were times in the movie where I thought he kind of looked like Babe Ruth. He's a little paunchier in, in yeah. the face. He had the I trot. Think. He had the trot down for sure. <laughs> yes, the high speed, yeah. wet legs going it, quickly. And okay. The, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to get to all the things that may or may not be true right away, but did he really have to have a designated base runner because he was so out of shape? I'd never heard that before. Because <laughs> <'Cause, laughs> well, you have to come out of the game when you get a base yes. runner. 
Yeah, I I have not been able to verify that that did not happen, but everything leads to that that would never have happened. Even back in the thirty, back in nineteen thirty five, it would have been against the rules because if you have a pinch runner, pinch hitter, anything like that, you you're out of the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure why they would have put something like that in the movie, except for just a little bit of over sensationalizing sensationalizing. Yeah. I was trying to skip a syllable (laughs) there. Yeah. Just, just sensationalizing the fact that he was way out of shape, but here's the thing too. Like he was 40 in 1935, his last year. Oh, wow. They basically show him as being 68, (laughs) uh, trying to play baseball. Yeah. And, and I get it. He, he lived hard and fast and, and he did not have, he did not take care of his body, no. but I would like to see what he actually looked like in 1935. I, I don't know. I didn't look to see if there's any video of him playing as a Boston brave, but it would seem to me that he wouldn't be able to run to first base. Like he should be able to run around the bases right. at a home run <laughs> trot, Yeah, you know, but he did have this. These are some of the stats that I looked up. I questioned whether, okay, so skip forward <laughs> to the end. They show him have three home runs, his final game. And he walks off the field seemingly before the game is over. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if the game yeah. is, is complete, but he's like, I'm turning it in. I know. <laughs> um, which did not happen. He did not have a home run in his last game at all, but he did have three home runs in a game uh, one time that season with the Boston which, Braves. Yeah. Which, you know, is impressive. You know, I mean, that's impressive for anybody, but a 40 year old who needs a walker to get to first base. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. But this is these are some of the stats that I was really impressed by. Just one year earlier, his last year with the Yankees in 1934, he had, I think he had a stolen base. Wow. And I think he had four triples. So, <laughs> so he could move. You know, <laughs> Ruth could move. He could still move at 39, but at ni- and 19, uh, at, at the age of 40. <laughs> know, he was like Franklin he- Roosevelt uh, <laughs> in the final days. <laughs> um, so back to the, to the beginning of the movie where he's playing for the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing that probably most sports fans know, but probably just your average person who's heard of the name Babe Ruth. They may not understand that he was actually an incredible pitcher, yeah, as well as a, an incredible hitter. And you know his pitching stats. I think he was like ninety four and forty three or something like that over his career. Mm-hmm. Here's one thing I did not know. Also, looking at some of his stats, this has become a Babe Ruth podcast, <laughs> not the Babe podcast. But he continued to pitch every once in a while until. I think 1933 was the last year that he pitched a game. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that. He pitched, he pitched a complete game, one game. He only pitched in one game. It was a complete game, 12 hitter, <laughs> gave up five earned runs, but won the game. So, you know, he would do a spot start every couple of years, and typically he would give up lots of hits and at a couple of runs here and there, but he would, he would get the W. Wow. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I, I had no idea. 
about that. And I see, was pretty sure he was. I, th- I I was pretty sure that he quit pitching altogether by the time he went to the Yankees. But that's not true. Right. Well, and I was just I was kind of surprised at how much. And part of this is just because you know when you think of Babe Ruth, you think New York Yankee. Like maybe yeah. maybe trivia buffs know he played for the Red Sox, but but yeah, he's such an iconic Yankee and they refer to Yankee Stadium as the house that Ruth built. Although, were they referring to it that as that? Uh, I know. Like I two years after he started playing? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the movie the movie uh, spent like the first hour uh, on his Red Sox career. Like, he didn't go to the Yankees till way into the movie. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised at how much time they spent with the Red Sox, but can, can especially you know. especially considering that the first ten minutes of the movie are a helicopter shot of Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw Don Mattingly <laughs> down there. Well, and I was actually surprised. This is another little bit of trivia that I did not know. He won five World Series, and guess how many of those were with the Red Sox? Uh, three, two, two. Wow. He won two with the Red Sox and three with the Yankees, which wow. actually surprised me. I thought that he would have had like eight World Series, and <laughs> six of them were with the Yankees. Yeah. Well, and I knew about but, the cur- the curse of the Bambino and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know that I had ever known uh, for all this movie's historical inaccuracies. It is accurate that he was not traded to the Yankees, but sold to the Yankees because. Mm-hmm the Boston Red Sox owner had some like bad business investments and needed $112,000 or whatever it was. Yeah, no, I think it was, he was a, a Broadway producer yeah. and had a, had a flop on Broadway and needed <laughs> to pay his creditors. And so he sold Babe Ruth to, to the Yanks and history is never the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that happened, you know, so they show him, <laughs> they show him on the field, as just mashing every single one of uh, the pitches that he, he gets and just, you know, over and over and over. So we get it. He hits home runs, but this movie went much further than just the sports angle of it. You know, baseball was kind of like his Haven. It was where he could do what he could literally show up drunk with his, (laughs) you know, his pants around his knees and hit a home run. Right. That was where he felt safe. That's where he felt comfortable. And he seemed to not feel so comfortable or safe outside of, of baseball. I, I I don't know if this was Goodman's acting or the direction of the from the director or a combination of both. But, you know, he almost played him, the, the babe as, and I get that he had emotional baggage that, that, could very well have been the case, but they, they almost play him as someone who has like a mental illness or something like that. Like in a, in his social life, it's like, he doesn't know how to speak to people in a, in a normal way. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and Kelly, Mc, Kelly McGillis, who I'm sure we'll talk about her later. She says at one point, like you have two speeds, like full speed and stop or something like that. Yeah. And, I kind of felt like John Goodman or maybe this was the script. I don't know. They just, that's all they ever did. Like, first off the movie just kind of goes chronologically and you kind of like hop from era to era to era. 
And at some point, sometimes I was like, wait, wait, what, what's happening? Like what year is it? Mm-hmm. And, and it just kind of shows him following that same pattern in every era of his life. You know, he's, he's either drunk and down and out, or he's showing up at a high society ball and farting. Like, <laughs> which there was way more flatulence in this movie than I expected there to be. It was actually a welcome surprise. But, yes. but, but yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, he had, he had two gears in the performance and after, after the first 45 minutes, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Babe Ruth liked to party and he probably had some emotional baggage, but they, they we never really saw any layers in between. Well, except that, and I and I wrote down this. I wrote that it was it's hard to believe that he couldn't spend one night not dancing, drinking, smoking, and sweating because <laughs> it seemed like all he all he yeah. ever did. But but when he would like his first wife Helen, when he was courting her, it was like he wasn't even paying attention to her necess- necessarily. It was almost like she would ask a question and he would just be like, do you like steak? (laughs) (laughs) Why why are you so different? Do you want a cigar? (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, it was the craziest thing. Like he couldn't even focus on, you know, the task at hand. Yeah. And to me, that's like, that is a failing of the script of the writers. Like they need to say, okay, he needs to be inattentive to her. But what are some layered ways that we can show that as opposed to <laughs> let's go dancing, honey. Want some steak? <laughs> <laughs> More cigars. Well, yeah, no, it was. Yeah. Is it, that my baby impression? No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Have some cigars. <laughs> yeah. Hey, next time I'm at a party, <laughs> yeah. next time I'm at a party, I'm going to be like, Hey guys, I got a great baby impression. <laughs> Want some steak? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what I was going to say. So like he, it's almost like they were trying to show that he was charming because yeah. Helen fell for him. But in my mind, I was just thinking he's like the last thing from charming. Like he's just, well, and yeah. So much like he could not hit a pitch to save his life. And then after three pitches, he's a home run hitter. He is not liked by Helen, his first wife. He's coming on to her too strong. Uh, he takes her out in a boat. She does not want to be there. He tries to kiss her. She's like, get away from me. Like, you know, don't, don't even think about it. Then chooses I'll, to jump in a river. Yeah. She <laughs> to get jump, away from jumps him. in a river to get away from him. And then somehow I like the fact that she was grossed out by him is like washed off by the river water or something. Because I feel like as soon as they play, like, does he jump in after her or something? He jumps in after her and pretends that he can't swim. Oh, that's right. And that charm. And that charms her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause they that are in, over. they're in waist deep water and he, yeah, says he can't swim. And then all of a sudden like that, she is forever his. Yeah. But, yeah. but, yeah, sorry. I think I sidetracked this there. No, it's no, that's that's perfectly fine because I want to get into his relationship. It's like he with Helen, he, he doesn't really care about her. Like, I mean, the first night they're together in this farmhouse that he's bought for her because she she likes animals. <laughs> yeah, he wants to go out dancing. He's so incredibly bored, and that's when I wrote down that it's hard to believe he couldn't just spend one night. You know, this yeah. is like 
your honeymoon night, just stay at home. And he just wants to go out and uh, eat a steak, you know? (laughs) And I literally think that he says, I want a steak, you know? And, and so that's the impetus to them starting their, their marriage off in a bad situation. It, It starts right away, at least in the movie. Right. So, yeah. So the first relationship is, is uh, a poor one. He always stays out. I think he stays out for two weeks at a time or something like that. And always comes back with another farm animal. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Here's a turkey. And and one of those farm animals was a daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So he finally comes back and is like, I got us a baby and shows her the papers and calls it an it. And for some reason brings along an African-American woman too. (laughs) (laughs) um, She's just there for some reason. So they've adopted this, this baby. Now, from what I understand in real life, this was the baby of a, an affair that he had had with someone else. Oh, yeah. The movie movie is kind of, uh, they, they don't get into that, do they? No, they don't talk about that at yeah. all. This is not a hit piece on Babe Ruth. No, <laughs> no it's, a, it's a puff piece. So apparently he had his wife, Helen, raise this daughter. And she apparently thought that she was Babe, uh, Babe and Helen's daughter until like, I don't know, like 1959 or something like that. And then she found out the truth. And- wait, wait, but didn't Helen die in... 19... Like 1929 or yeah. something like that. Wait, so who... Yeah. So, oh, so who Who thought it was their daughter? The daughter. The daughter thought oh, she was okay, Babe I got Ruth's you. I got and you. Helen's yeah, yeah. daughter. She didn't know that she had been adopted. But, you know, the, the movie makes it look like Babe Ruth just adopted the kid. Yeah. But apparently it was his through another <laughs> woman's. But it wasn't Claire's, anyway, wasn't Claire's kid, was it? No. Yeah. Claire, you mentioned her. She becomes kind of the second love interest of Babe Ruth after Helen and, oh, here's the other thing. Helen and and Babe Ruth never divorced. So they show Claire and Babe together, but they're not married yet. And then Babe Ruth gets this phone call and we find out that Helen has, has died. They've kind of alluded to, she might have a problem with some pills. Yeah. Um, They kind of show a close, a few close-ups you know, very heavy handedly uh, <laughs> showing that she's, she's, she's taking these pills, but apparently she would, she f- would take sleeping pills and she was, she was living with a dentist and not divorced from Babe Ruth and took some sleeping pills one night and a fire broke out in the, in the dentist's house and the dentist wasn't there. And so that's how she, she died. She died in a, in a fire basically mm. suffocated. And so, uh, that happens. And then like literally the next day, Babe Ruth marries Claire. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. He's a pallbearer. Let's see him getting <laughs> out of the church. I know. Yeah. Rice. It's like, I'm imagining him setting the casket down and immediately going to the side <laughs> of Claire and like, want some steak. <laughs> <laughs> And so Claire is kind of like his emotional escape uh, from the real world too. And she really seems to help. And, and, you know, she in real life is married to him uh, until he dies. But, you know, the whole time I'm, I'm kind of thinking, are they playing her up as like some kind of someone who's just trying to get in with him? Because 
she's kind of hanging out with Italian mobsters at one point, and she's a she's a dancer for the Ziegfeld Follies, <laughs> and right. it just it just seemed like she was trying to maybe have a little bit of a nefarious uh, relationship with him, but apparently it was it was a real love. So the other aspect that I wanted to bring up is that Babe Ruth before he. I think it's before he gets married to Claire. He has this one meltdown in a game where he decides to, he's he's in a little bit of a slump and he decides to hit right-handed. He's a left-handed yeah. hitter naturally. So he decides I'm going to try to break this up by, by hitting right-handed and, and hits a little squibber in between third and shortstop and gets, gets a single, but he tries to turn it into a double and gets called out. And the entire stadium, <laughs> I know, just, I mean, is like he's enemy number one. You know, <laughs> I know. He gets, he throws, he picks up a handful of dirt and throws it <laughs> in the umpire's eyes. Yeah. And and then proceeds to climb into the stadium to like beat up one of the. It's uh, like he like be, becomes King Kong essentially, and like they're trying <laughs> you know, to, you know? they're trying to like they're trying to like uh, hold him down and like strap him down, and like the scene ends with him going like, "Why God?" or something like that. <laughs> like no, you know what I thought of? You know what I thought of? <laughs> Chris Farley in that SNL <laughs> oh, yeah. sketch. That's right. Sir, do you realize that you are not drinking regular coffee, but Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals? What? I said you're drinking Colombian decaf coffee crystals. What? You son of a bitch. You no good damn That's right. Someone, someone should have come out with a frying pan. Yeah. <laughs> someone should have come out with a frying pan. Gong, gong. Um, that's what I thought of is that because the, they're even like laying on top <laughs> of it. And he's like, well, when I saw that, I was like, there's just no, no way that that happened. <laughs> no way. Well, apparently he did go after a fan in the stands at one time. Oh, well, yeah, that was, I mean, it was, it was like, you're right. It's like the Chris Farley skit. It was like, the elephant man or like in young Frankenstein when uh, the the villagers turn on, or I shouldn't say young Frankenstein, just Frankenstein when the villagers turn on the monster. He was, but then directly after that game, he was like in some electrical room (laughs) in the club, like in the dugouts, you know, you go in the uh, tunnels and you've got your clubhouse and stuff like that. But he was like in some room, 
that looked like it was like, you know, an elevator shaft or something. Yeah. And he was crying and I could not for the life of me. I watched it probably four times trying to figure out what he was saying while he was crying because it, it's, it, it was nonsense. Yeah. Could you understand what he was saying? No, that uh, I couldn't. It rivals the Rocky three Sylvester Stallone crying scene, which I cannot wait to get to that. But uh, I could, yeah, it was a bunch of pops and buzzes to me. I couldn't understand it. You know, he gets pulled into the shower and is like, you know, first of all, they they pull him into the shower room. And which, by the way, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's uh, it's like his manager and Claire for some reason. Now, do you think um, (laughs) this is like the moment where Claire pulls his the pants off of John Goodman? Do we think that that's the exact moment that she became a lesbian or was it later? <laughs> I don't know, but I thought, why are they taking off his pants? <laughs> yeah. They kept it, his shirt on. Like It was in John Goodman's contract. Like, you better keep my shirt on <laughs> for the safety of the crew. <laughs> you can take off my pants yeah. but keep my shirt on. <laughs> Um, so, (laughs) so they do that and he kind of, you know, that's when, that's when they go out to the, to the field and, and he references that this is the house that Ruth built. And I thought, (laughs) I don't know if he's referencing this in 1929 or whatever for himself. But, you know, that's also when she says you've got two speeds and stuff like that. And he, and he decides to, you know, Hey, dial it back a notch. Uh, which is funny because, you know, if, if that's any kind of truth to that, you know, he really did seem to go on the biggest tear of his career after that. It's when he kind of started to hit 60 home runs and uh, was just unstoppable. It really did seem to kind of turn his career in real life after that kind of a, an incident. But there was one other thing that I forgot to mention before we actually get to that moment. And and there, he kind of has another meltdown with Helen while they're still married on a train. And she's basically like, you know, I don't want to swim in fountains with you. I don't want to be with you with four other women in, you know, some hotel. Yeah. He wants to be with her. And then and then the manager comes in after she's like, I'm done. I'm through. The manager comes in, which he has a rocky relationship with him. He says he's suspended for two weeks. He suspends him for two weeks and Babe Ruth proceeds to take him (laughs) and hold him by the ankles off the back of the train (laughs) as if he's going to drop him from the train, from a moving train. Right. Another, another one that I had to look up and apparently it was, it was a myth that that really happened. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. When that happened, I was slightly zoning the movie out at that point, but uh, yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I have a lot of issues with this this movie. I don't know if there's anything else you really want to talk about. You know, there's the he has kind of like this feud with Lou Gehrig when he comes up. I also don't think that they were calling Lou Gehrig the Iron Man. Um, no, because he's the never Iron Horse done. in his rookie yeah. year. You know, right. yeah, right. That nickname is is because of his streak. Yeah, they don't start calling him that. You know, in in July of his rookie year. But but did he and Lou Gehrig did they have a, an actual rivalry? Like that? Apparently not. Oh. <laughs> Apparently they were very friendly towards each other. I looked oh. that up too. And uh, you know, at the end of the movie, they're they're buddies. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're everything's good. You know, they show the the called shot. They they show the oh the kid yeah. the kid in the hospital asking for uh, two home runs, which 
I didn't even know that that was part of the story. I thought it was just one home run. I think they embellished even yeah, a story they, that was already embellished. Yes, yes. Well, and like this movie just annoyed me in so many ways uh, because there was there was ways that they could have built up to built up to drama or. And I'm not saying it should be like a cliched sports movie or anything, but they just kind of seem to hop from moment to moment to moment to moment. And like I said earlier, Babe Ruth acts out. Okay, we we establish that he's wounded in this part of his life, in this part of his life, in this part of his life. And, you know, by the time he hits that uh, home run as a Boston Brave at the I guess he hits two home runs maybe in his last he hits game. Three, three in hits the last three, game. Yeah. three in the last game. Okay. By the time he hits those three home runs, like I didn't even care. Like, because no. I was just like, what, what's he, what's he overcoming? What were the odds? Like, I didn't really quite follow that. It was just kind of like, I guess, I guess is that he still has a little baseball left, but like he wasn't trying, it wasn't like, you know, we reviewed karate kid, the last movie. And you know, that was about overcoming Daniel LaRusso's own lack of confidence and sort of fitting in at a new school. And like, they just, they, they, that movie does such a good job of setting up the stakes. And I never really knew what the stakes were in this movie. Well, that's the problem with this movie. I think like, what's this movie about? It is literally just a retelling of Babe Ruth's life from 1902 to 1935. And it is, there's no purpose to it. It is a biopic in the extreme form of a biopic. That there's, there's no, the only feeling you have for Babe Ruth is that, yeah, his dad pretty much, you know, threw him out at the age of seven, never to see him again. And his mother told him that she hated him, which yeah. are horrible things. But at some point, you know, as an adult. Yeah, there's not a know, real antagonist. Yeah, no, there's no antagonist at all, you know, except for the absent mother and father and a manager who kind of rides his butt to get him in bed at, at, at a decent hour, you know? And high society people who don't want to be farted in front of. <laughs> yes. What's wrong with them? <laughs> so it just, it just played kind of stale for almost two hours of, and, and, you know, we're about to get into the ratings and I'm kind of getting to what I felt about it. I, I guess I'll go ahead and get into it. Although I do have a couple more things that I wanted to bring up. So maybe pause on my film school rant. <laughs> and I do want to mention that that in at the very end, well, uh, this is part of it, I guess. This is all part of it. They tried to make you feel, have feelings for this guy. You know, at the very end, they have like a very natural-esque slow motion last at bat where he swings and he hits a home run. It's even got like the musical score to go along with it. And where the Kelly McGillis is crying is crying. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the natural hits it on all marks. And even though it's an absurd thing where he knocks, you know, the cover off the ball or he hits it into the light, the light fixture and everything goes dark. It's, it's a dramatic moment that plays. Whereas this moment, you're just like, I did not give a crap when he was up. (laughs) You really don't. You don't care that he's spitting blood. You know, I mean, like, (laughs) well, yeah. And I was, and I I was kind of like thinking like, okay, I saw this in the natural. We've done this already. A B is this true? And 
like you said, you, you hit the nail on the head. The natural took us through a journey to get us to that moment where we understand why Roy Hobbs is here. We understand what's on the line and we care about it. We, you know, we want him to come through. It didn't matter if Babe Ruth came through in that moment. Like, yeah, didn't matter at all. He was still going to be Babe Ruth. Like yeah. he was still going to be this, even in 1935, the biggest thing that ever happened to baseball by far, you know? So it, it just, it, it didn't hit. I would like to see maybe another version of this where the, where the writers, and this pains me. I'll say this too. I, I looked to see who the, the director was. I looked to see who the writer was and this writer, I forget his name. I can look it up real quick. He, he wrote one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, his name is John Fusco. Do you know who, do you know what other movie he wrote? He wrote uh, the screenplay for? I, I don't. Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one. <laughs> it's a, it's an animated horse movie. No, it's not that one. It is Young Guns. He wrote Young ah. Guns, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But he also wrote The Babe, and he did not do as well with this one. No, not at all. I have a rating system in mind. This is another thing that I also think that baseball could adapt for the 21st century. I think it would bring a little bit of old-timey baseball back. I think baseball is hurting a little bit right now. The coronavirus that we're living in, which we haven't really mentioned on the podcast, but we are in the middle of the, the virus situation. And I think that if modern baseball had more barbershop quartets singing three verses of a song <laughs> after <laughs> after a home run. Dude, so yeah. Okay. So Babe Ruth hits a home run for the Red Sox. And just in case you don't watch this movie audience, a barbershop quartet rises to their feet in the middle of the stands and sings with an, with an a three-minute-long song to like celebrate. Cheerleading it. megaphones, and they sing yes, all yes, three verses right. <laughs> in four choruses. I know. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. If is Albert Pujols still playing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he looks like, like Babe Ruth if, in his last game right now. <laughs> well. Yeah, whoever, whoever, like, instead of playing Thunderstruck by ACDC or whatever, like, <laughs> macho guys play, it's like, now here's some old-time music for you. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Babe Ruth just hit a home run, <laughs> and now he wants to eat a steak. <laughs> yeah, I was amazed at how long that song went on. A one, two, three. Ra-ta-ta-ta, ra-ta-ta-ta-ta. Here come the Bostons, here come the Bostons, here come the Bostons, they'll win the day for sure. Here come the Bostons, here come the Bostons, here come the Bostons, they'll win the day for sure. Boston, Boston, who are we? The 1914 Rooters, it's plain to see. We will win, go tell your pa. We bean eaters, bean eaters, From Ruth today for sure George you can do it We always knew it Here come the Bostons They'll win the day for sure Win today Hooray Hip hip 
<laughs> it was amazing. So my rating system is one to five. How many barbershop quartets would you give this movie? Well, I'm going to have to give this one member of a barbershop quartet. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it's just, bad. This movie's just the bass. <laughs> yeah, just the bass. Not even the best one. The bass. <laughs> You're not, you're not even getting any melody. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it was, it was rough. I will at least give it one barbershop quartet. Okay. Only because I can't, I've, I've talked about this before. I love baseball. I love baseball movies this one is a bad one. This one might be the worst. I mean, like we're going to see some bad ones too. I I've seen Tommy Lee Jones as Ty Cobb, um, but I don't think that it's <laughs> as bad as this one. It was made around the same time. Yeah. You know, the new bad news bears with Billy Bob Thornton is, great. <laughs> but, but this one was probably one of the, I mean, I don't know how major league three back to the minors stands up, but, uh, yeah, or Angels in the Outfield. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, but you know, I plan on at least watching. So like, like Air Bud was bad. He's right. But it's made for kids. And so I can kind of, I can kind of rate it through that prism. Angels in the Outfield, right. Rookie of the Year, you know, all these movies that are more geared for kids. I can at least look at it through that kind of a prism, you know. Right. The Babe is PG. <laughs> and it's got... <laughs> it's got people having relationships in a bathtub at one point. Yeah. But yeah, I'll give it one, one barbershop quartet, bass, tenor, alto, soprano. I don't know if they actually. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll get the full, full chord in there. Just because it's baseball. I'll, I'll give it. And I, and I love John Goodman, but this was not his finest moment. Yeah. Well, and it's like John Goodman had such high, moments you know like raising arizona and then a few years later he did big lebowski and obviously he was played an iconic role on roseanne and then kelly mcgillis you know she's in top gun and she was nominated for a golden globe for witness i think and i mean witness was critically acclaimed and yeah this was just i I sort of felt bad seeing her in this movie just because i was just like oh she's been in such good stuff and I, i just felt like i was watching a talented actress put up with being in a bad movie. Well, you know, this was a tough time for John Goodman as far as movies. I feel like, because let's see the, the babe. Yeah. King Ralph came out in 91 and the babe came out in 92. And basically it's the same character, you know, it's, it's some fat slob (laughs) who just wants to eat steak and smoke cigars and fart. (laughs) Right. You know, he's just not wearing a baseball jersey. He's wearing a crown. Yeah. Uh, So we have a total of, it seems like we're uh, perpetually on 202. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So we have, we have one through 200, 202. The next one is 170. Hmm. What could it be? Okay. Okay. This is, I've seen this movie and it's a good one, but I think we have to go to our sequel rule. Okay. (laughs) Which just to remind everybody, if we pull a movie that is part of a 
sequel series, we start at the beginning and then each time we pull a movie from that series, we watch it sequentially. Yes. Is that, did I say that correctly? I would, I would say that that's right. So this movie, can you, do you want to guess which sequel series? How many movies are in this? Oh gosh. If you took all the movies combined, seven, seven, so is this Rocky? There's only one answer. It's Rocky. Yeah. So it was Creed that came up. Ah, oh, interesting. So we start at the beginning. Are we going Rocky one? It's our first boxing. Yeah. Rocky yeah, one. Okay. Our first right. boxing movie out of, we have 202 on the list. I think we have approximately 300 boxing movies. Well, and you know, I mean, there, there will be people who argue that, Creed is its own franchise and separate from Rocky. But to those folks, I would say we want to do Rocky. So get off our backs. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we, Rocky, this is our podcast. We make up the rules. <laughs> this is a sequel to me, you know, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you've got Rocky in the movie. So, <laughs> right. All right. So that does it for another episode. We do have one, one of these days we're going to release these. <laughs> It's going to be, like be a flood into the uh, consciousness of America. That's right. We uh, we started doing them, I think, back uh, last September. So we're almost ah. a year. <laughs> Are you serious? We did the first I one in September? I, I Holy so. crap. Well. Uh, I'm just waiting on the artwork. I know. I got, I mean, I'm, if you are listening, I'm, uh, I got to do that. But we do have a Twitter account. I think it's. <laughs> Slow pitch cast. Slow pitch cast. Like, follow, share, comment. So I appreciate all of y'all listening, all four of you. My mom, <laughs> my wife, Sean's mom, and Sean's wife. Thank you guys for listening. And Kelly McGillis, thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, so thank you again to listening to Slow Pitch. That's right. I don't care if I never get back, let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame, for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.